As the first of two criminal trials against Lonnie Schwartz wrapped up in Tucson, the nation's highest court was undergoing a conservative transformation in Washington, D.C. The two cities are located about 1,950 miles apart. Coincidentally, that's also the same length of the border the United States shares with Mexico. Supreme Court judges have the power and the authority to rule on laws anywhere within U.S. territory. But soon, they'd be asked to consider whether those laws can apply just beyond the U.S.-Mexico border. The case that would put this question to the test had nothing to do with Lonnie Schwartz. It also didn't have anything to do with Jose Antonio Elena Rodriguez, or with Nogales for that matter. It had everything to do with the ability for Jose Antonio's family to continue their quest for justice after he had been shot and killed by Lonnie through the border fence. Los dos juicios que tuvo y que le dijeron no culpable, pues que no se lo crea, porque sigue siendo culpable. On October 10th, 2019, almost one year after jurors in Tucson acquitted Lonnie of criminal charges, Jose Antonio's family gathered at Calle Internacional in Nogales, Sonora to mark the seventh anniversary of his death. Even though two separate juries had cleared Lonnie for shooting and killing Jose Antonio, his mother, Araceli Rodriguez, felt optimistic. Son siete años y pues tenemos mucho apoyo todavía. Eh, hay, hay, hay avances que, que ahorita pues no te puedo, no te puedo decir, pero, pero pues estamos... Lo único que te puedo decir que eh, para el día 10 o 12, no, no estoy segura, vamos a Washington. Al 10 de noviembre. Ajá. Eh, y pues con lo mismo del caso. Y esto tiene que ver con el, el caso del, del paso en, entre la Corte Suprema. Sí. After a seven-year legal battle. Araceli said she would travel to Washington a few months later. She'd be joined by Taide Elena, Jose Antonio's grandmother. They would sit in for the oral arguments that Supreme Court justices would hear in Hernandez v. Mesa. This case focused on whether the family of Sergio Adrián Hernández Guereca, a 15-year-old who had lived in Ciudad Juárez, had the legal standing to sue Jesús Mesa Jr., Mesa was a Border Patrol agent stationed in El Paso, Texas. In June 2010, he shot the Mexican teenager in the back, killing him along the banks of the Rio Grande. This is Judge Andrew Kleinfeld speaking during a court hearing. He's part of a three-judge panel with the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco. I just can't imagine the Supreme Court saying, well, since we didn't have a case directly on point yet, then the policeman wouldn't have known that he can't take uh, arbitrary pot shots of Mexicans. Araceli had good reason to feel optimistic. In 2018, in between the two criminal trials in Tucson, Judge Kleinfeld wrote a majority opinion in Araceli's lawsuit against the Arizona border agent. The Ninth Circuit panel ruled that Lonnie did not have qualified immunity from prosecution. Most importantly, they allowed Araceli's civil lawsuit to move forward. 
The judges ruled that the use of force Lonnie employed against Jose Antonio, quote, was unreasonable under the Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. But judges from the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans reached a different conclusion. Hernandez's family sued Mesa in federal court, but the lower courts threw the case out. They had jurisdiction over the Hernandez versus Mesa case out of El Paso. Saying that the Constitution's protections did not apply to Hernandez as he was not a U.S. citizen and was standing in Mexico when he was killed. A three-judge panel in New Orleans upheld a lower court's decision in the cross-border shooting. The judges reaffirmed that Sergio's family did not have standing to sue the border agent that killed him. The Supreme Court had reviewed the Texas case previously, but the justices sent the case back to the lower courts instead of making a decision. Now that a different circuit court had reached an opposing conclusion on this matter, the Supreme Court once again agreed to take on this case. Even though they won at the Ninth Circuit, Araceli's lawsuit in San Francisco was put on hold temporarily. That is, until the nine justices reached a decision in the other cross-border shooting. Welcome to Season 3 of Rediscovering, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. This time, we're focusing on a cross-border shooting that would change the way the U.S. patrols its southern boundary with Mexico. It involves a U.S. border agent, a Mexican teenager, and the firestorm that erupted after he was killed through the border fence. I'm Rafael Carranza. I write about border and immigration issues and have been covering the U.S.-Mexico borderlands for more than a decade. In December 2018, Lonnie Schwartz was exonerated of criminal wrongdoing in two historic trials in Tucson. But even though the possibility of prison time was no longer an option, he still wasn't in the clear. Lonnie also faced a civil rights lawsuit in Arizona. If found guilty, he could be liable for damages, meaning that he would have to pay money out of his own pocket to the family of Jose Antonio. But Lonnie wasn't in any financial position to pay, according to his lawyer, Sean Chapman, who we talked to back in 2019. And then once the indictment occurred, he was placed on um, unpaid administrative leave. And he remained in that status until his acquittal last year. So for three three years, he was really struggling financially, um, working as a carpenter in Nevada, trying to make ends meet, trying to support his wife while this was going on. The basis of the lawsuit against him was that in shooting and killing Jose Antonio across the U.S.-Mexico border, Lonnie had violated the teen's constitutional rights. But the larger question here was whether those constitutional protections extended to someone who was not on U.S. soil. Let's remember that Lonnie was standing in Arizona when he fired his gun through the border fence, but Jose Antonio was standing on the Mexican side. Roberto Montiel, the attorney for Jose Antonio's family, said judges had to decide one question. Can you, under the Federal Tort Claims Act, file a lawsuit? We found three or four exceptions, and that's what we argued to the Ninth Circuit, 
and the Ninth Circuit bought it, saying, yeah, this is a right place to make uh, that kind of exception to the rule. Okay, so here is where we get into legal jargon. But don't worry, we'll help break it down for you. There are three tiers in the federal court system, which is what this episode will focus on. At the lowest level are the district courts, which is where all cases begin. For example, Jose Antonio's family filed their lawsuit at the District of Arizona Courthouse in Tucson. At the middle level, all district courts fall under the jurisdiction of an appellate court. Arizona is in the Ninth Circuit, Texas is in the Fifth. And at the top, you have the Supreme Court of the United States, the ultimate authority on U.S. law. James Fander is a professor at the Northwestern Pritzker School of Law. Well, I have been a student of the doctrine of the Bivens case for a number of years. The Bivens doctrine is the legal foundation through which both families file their lawsuits. Professor Fander helped us understand what that means. Bivens, he told me, stems from a 1971 Supreme Court decision. According to this doctrine, If you're a federal government official and you violate an individual's constitutional rights, you are subject to personal liability in a suit for damages to recover compensation for the injuries that you inflicted. But in the years after the ruling, the Supreme Court began to limit the type of claims that could apply. Justices recognized three categories. Claims under the Fourth Amendment's protection against unreasonable search and seizure, the Fifth Amendment's equal protection clause, and the Eighth Amendment's protection against cruel and unusual punishment. They had rejected all other claims so far. If you're injured uh, outside the United States, it's very difficult to see what sort of redress you might be able to secure. Attorneys for the families in the cross-border shooting cases asked the courts to consider their claims under existing categories of the Bivens Doctrine. But there was a major distinction that set these cases apart. The shootings involved border agents standing in the U.S., but the victims were in Mexico. So could the parents of a Mexican national sue the Border Patrol agent in U.S. courts? In Arizona, a district judge in Tucson said yes. He granted Jose Antonio's family the ability to sue Lonnie. Attorneys for the border agent filed an appeal before the Ninth Circuit in San Francisco. In October 2016, they headed to court. So who's going first? May it please the court and counsel, my name is Sean Chapman. I'm here on behalf of the appellants of Lonnie Schwartz. Chapman argued before the Ninth Circuit that as an agent carrying out the work of the federal government, Lonnie had qualified immunity from prosecution in this case. He also claimed that Jose Antonio's family had no standing to sue because the Mexican teen did not have strong ties to the U.S., even though his grandmother Taide lived in Arizona and was a permanent resident at the time of the shooting. Mexican soil who has no significant ties to the United 
Lee Gallant, an attorney from the American Civil Liberties Union representing the family, argued that judges needed to take into consideration the totality of the circumstances. He said Jose Antonio grew up next to the border fence, which he would walk past daily. Gallant claimed the Fourth Amendment applied because the U.S. had a strong presence at the border zone and that residents living near the border, like Jose Antonio, should not assume the risk of getting shot just by walking down the street. To say that, well, J.A. as a minor didn't ever come to the U.S. or want to come to the U.S., so therefore he assumed the risk of being killed walking along this border street, we don't think that's the correct analysis. And we certainly don't think there's anything impractical about asking a U.S. Border Patrol agent on duty, standing on U.S. soil with a government weapon to comply with the Fourth Amendment. Taideh traveled to San Francisco for the hearing. She sat in the courtroom listening to both sides, but the judges announced at the end that they wouldn't make a decision. Entonces uh, dijo, hay un caso parecido a este. Vamos a esperar qué decide el juez sobre ese caso. Y ya, ya, ya seguimos con el de, el de José Antonio, dijo. Bueno, así quedó. The Supreme Court had agreed to review the cross-border shooting case out of El Paso. They understood that they would have to decide that one before ruling on Jose Antonio's case against Lonnie. The two cases were litigated around the same time, but in separate appellate circuits. El agente de la patrulla fronteriza de El Paso, Texas, abre fuego desde Estados Unidos hacia el lado mexicano. In June 2010, Border Patrol agent Jesus Mesa Jr. shot and killed 15-year-old Sergio Adrián Hernández Huereca. Surveillance video of the shooting showed the moment when Mesa pursued a group of teens. They had crossed the dry culverts of the Rio Grande from Ciudad Juarez in Mexico to El Paso, Texas. Mesa caught up with one of the teens when he claimed several people on the Mexican side began throwing rocks at him. Una de las balas mató a Sergio. He fired two shots south. One of them struck and killed Sergio. The teen's family maintains that they were simply playing a game. His mother, Guadalupe Huereca, told Univision that she had called his phone that day. But when he didn't pick up, she sensed something was wrong. Guadalupe said when she heard about the shooting, she ran. By the time she got there, her son was still lying on the culvert, dead. Police wouldn't let her get close. Five years later, the family filed a wrongful death lawsuit, claiming Mesa had used excessive force. The lawsuit sought damages under the Fourth and Fifth Amendment interpretations of the Bivens Doctrine. Like in Lonnie's case, Mesa claimed he had qualified immunity and that the family had no standing because Sergio was in Mexico when he died. A federal judge in Texas dismissed the case. That was upheld by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans. 
The court determined that the Fourth Amendment did not apply because Sergio was a Mexican national on Mexican territory. They also said Mesa had qualified immunity from Fifth Amendment claims. Sergio's family asked the Supreme Court to review the case, which they did. Federal courts are deciding whether the young man has rights under the U.S. Constitution and if his mother can sue the agent for damages. But they sent it back to the Fifth Circuit, where judges once again upheld their ruling. The judge's decision clashed with the Ninth Circuit's opinion in the Arizona case. Fander, with Northwestern Law, said the conflicting rulings from the two appellate courts increased the likelihood that the Supreme Court would once again take on the Texas case. In May 2019, they did just that. But Fander said the circumstances of the cross-border shooting would make the family's case hard to win. The court has treated national security, international relations, and all of these kinds of considerations as special factors counseling hesitation, and therefore has pointed to them as a justification for the rejection of any right to sue. With a civil lawsuit against Lonnie placed on hold, Araceli and Taide traveled to Washington, D.C. in November 2019. It was the first time they would meet in person Sergio's mother, Guadalupe. They set to begin at the Supreme Court in the case of a Mexican teenager killed by a Border Patrol agent in 2010. The three sat in for the oral arguments that would determine the fate of their two cases. We'll hear argument next in case 171678, Hernandez v. Mesa. The hearing at the Supreme Court lasted about an hour. It began with attorney Stephen Vladek's arguments. He represented Sergio's family. Vladek began making the case that the 2010 shooting was an example of law enforcement overreach. He stated that families like Sergio's had no other remedies available to right the wrongs committed against them. It was the Bivens Doctrine or nothing. It is difficult to contemplate other remedies when individual instances of law enforcement overreach are at play. In those contexts, a damages action after the fact will usually be the only possible legal recourse. It's going to be difficult to bring a claim in advance. Vladek added that one of the core purposes of the Bivens Doctrine was to act as a deterrent against misconduct from federal officers. But that would disappear if there was no way to hold them to account. Right away, the judges expressed their skepticism about granting Sergio's family a new cause of action in the context of a cross-border shooting. Here's Justice Neil Gorsuch. We have a foreign national injured abroad by an action in the United States. I can think of a lot of cases that that's going to encompass, right? Um, not just cross-border shootings, but all kinds of torts that can occur transnationally. Several of the justices, as well as the attorneys arguing in favor of Agent Mesa, also spoke at length about the foreign policy implications of extending the Bivens Doctrine to cross-border shootings. Randolph Ortega, Mesa's attorney, said that Border Patrol's work fell within the scope of national security. He argued that this was within the jurisdiction of the executive and legislative branches, and that only Congress had the ability to establish new remedies, not the courts. And it's better left for Congress and the executive to decide those issues. 
and specifically Congress, to balance uh, the public policy, the limits of the law, and to provide guidance for this court to interpret the actual statute that they would have created. At the time, Jeffrey Wall was the principal deputy solicitor general with the Department of Justice. He argued that extending the Bivens Doctrine in Hernandez versus Mesa would also undermine the government's credibility. He claimed a ruling against Mesa would put the courts at odds with the executive branch, which had determined through a Justice Department investigation that Mesa had not acted unlawfully. And I just think looking at the balance, there's clearly enough to say there is a body that can address these kinds of on-the-grounds concerns at the border, but it's Congress, it's not the courts. Near the end, Vladek, the attorney for Sergio's family, told the justices in his rebuttal that the ability for the family to seek a remedy against Mesa was needed to ensure that border officers complied with the laws. If ever there was a case, Your Honors, where the underlying conduct touched and concerned U.S. territory with sufficient force, it's when a U.S. law enforcement officer standing on U.S. soil uses lethal force. The three women, Taide, Araceli, and Guadalupe, spent time together during the trip, meeting with advocates and sharing their story. Pues muy duro, te voy a decir, porque la señora llora y llora y llora y llora y llora y le ha afectado tanto, está tan enferma y, y nosotros ya dejamos la lástima para nosotros, se la dimos a ella. Taide said meeting Guadalupe was tough because both families had spent a lot of time and energy getting to this point. But she said she felt lots of pity for Guadalupe because of the toll her son's death has had on her. The day after the hearing, Taide and Araceli returned to Arizona. But they wouldn't have to wait long to learn the outcome. In February 2020, the Supreme Court justices issued their ruling. U.S. Supreme Court has ruled against the Corpus Christi attorney in a case involving a Mexican teenager who was shot and killed by a Border Patrol agent. By a vote of 5-4, to four, the court's conservative justices ruled that the Bivens Doctrine did not apply to cross-border shootings. The four liberals dissented. In effect, this meant that Mexican families like Jose Antonio's did not have the standing to sue U.S. border agents like Lonnie, who had shot and killed him. Montiel said he wasn't surprised by the ruling. And then I'm sure the Supreme Court must have been thinking, if we take this case, how many more are going to come here and how many more exceptions are we going to have to make? And they weren't willing to do it. With that decision, the civil case against Lonnie Schwartz came to an end. Jose Antonio's family had exhausted all options in the U.S. justice system. They had their days in court, but they lost. The court's ruling meant that if another cross-border shooting happened, the family of the victim on the Mexican side would have no civil legal recourse, even if the shooting was not justified. Montiel said that needs to change. We need a change in the law, federal law, to allow people that get shot by our officers in the line to at least have the chance to get into court and have a jury consider 
the issues. Under the present state of the law, we wouldn't have gotten as far as we did. It made it worse, at least the one in, in, uh, in Texas. Not that I'm blaming the lawyers, and they did a fine job. But they had, you know, they had to fight the Supreme Court. As the federal government and the attorney for Agent Mesa argued in court, it is now up to Congress. They will have to make any changes to the current laws to provide a way for Mexican families to seek compensation. But the outlook on something like that is probably unlikely anytime soon, given the hyperpolarized environment in Congress today. However, Professor Fander said the impacts of that decision can have immediate consequences along the U.S.-Mexico border. Yeah, the outcome is no liability for the officers involved and instead a kind of governmental impunity. And that's what you worry about, of course. Um, it's not going to be lost on Border Patrol agents that there's no right in the individuals in question to secure redress if they step over the line and inflict injuries on individuals in circumstances like this. So there's just a gap in the American system of remediation right now that Congress really needs to fill. Te humillan. Te humillan. Te sientes humillado, te pisotean. Taide, José Antonio's grandmother, said she felt humiliated and let down by the U.S. justice system. But they refused to give up. She said they'll continue putting pressure on the Mexican government. After all, officials investigated the shooting from the Mexican side. She and Araceli already visited Mexico City once. They're planning a second visit. El gobierno tiene que ser parejo, tenga las políticas que tenga y, y, y tenga las, 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 el convenio que tenga. Taide said despite whatever treaties the countries have signed, the Mexican government has to be fair. The family hopes to meet with the president or other high-ranking officials. For years, they've been calling for Lonnie's extradition. But the U.S. government is highly unlikely to do that, especially after the Supreme Court's decision. Porque entonces, ¿en, en qué papel quedamos? ¿En qué papel queda México? En, en, en un país cobarde que deja que le maten su gente y se la dejen ahí tirada. Will Mexico be a cowardly country that allows its citizens to be killed, she wonders. She also thinks often about what the family will do next. The shooting has had a big impact on all of them, not just Aide and Araceli. Diego, José Antonio's older brother, had to go to therapy, Taide said. José Antonio's absence is still greatly felt. They know who killed José Antonio, but the fact that they haven't gotten justice for him continues to hang over them, his aunt Gabriela said. And it's hatred in your heart because of the way he was shot and killed, and there's still no justice. Do you think that hatred will ever go away? No. No. Because he was just shot so so ugly, you know? Just sitting in court and hearing how, how the first sh shotgun, the first bullet just went through through his the back of his arm and came out in his face and you know all that makes you very angry. Why did he have to die like that? Because somebody else had hatred in their heart? 
Well, thank you. You just passed it on to us. And we hate you as well. But Jose Antonio's death has made an impact, even if it's not what the family imagined. For one, the case showed Border Patrol agents could face criminal charges, although the chances of a conviction are small. But a much bigger impact took place internally within the U.S. Border Patrol. Just days after the Ambos Nogales shooting in October 2012, Customs and Border Protection mandated three reviews of its use of force policies. And that's precisely why several members of Congress, including Arizona Representative Raul Grijalva, are calling on the Department of Homeland Security to review the Border Patrol's use of force policies. One was internal, the second from the Homeland Security Watchdog Office, and the third was an external independent agency. Altogether, they came up with 90 recommendations. The nonprofit Police Executive Research Forum began its work five months after the shooting in Nogales. They reviewed 67 deadly force incidents from January 2010 through October 2012. They found that agents had unnecessarily exposed themselves to risk during rock-throwing incidents when they had the option to back away instead. But it didn't cite specific cases by name. CBP Acting Deputy Commissioner Kevin McAleenan addressed concerns from lawmakers during a congressional budget hearing in 2013 about the agency's internal investigation. Congresswoman, we, we have uh, in, in actually near completed a use of force review, uh, some of the incidents that you mentioned and others, to assess our, our policy, our training, our equipment, and our tactics, and, and how we can be more effective and, and safer in, in our law enforcement operations. Once the review was completed, CBP began to make changes. In May 2014, the agency updated its use of force guidebook. In a memo just before it was published, U.S. Border Patrol Chief Michael Fisher outlined some immediate changes to decrease the likelihood of agents using deadly force. When it comes to rock throwings, Fisher instructed agents to seek tactical advantage by taking cover or moving away from the danger. Agents should only fire their weapon at rock throwers if they have a reasonable belief that they're in imminent danger of death or serious injury. The agency declined our multiple requests for an interview. My Arizona Republic colleague Rob O'Dell said the shooting in Ambos Nogales led to a sort of reckoning about the Border Patrol's use of force policies. The sad thing is, is that the family didn't get justice in any of it. In the civil case, not in the two criminal cases, I think, you know, they may have to take solace in the fact that this may be less likely to happen to somebody else because of all the stuff that's changed since this case happened. What happened to Lonnie Schwartz? That's still a bit of a mystery. He has remained out of the public eye. He didn't respond to our calls, and we don't know if he's still employed by the agency. Here's Lonnie's attorney, Jim Calle. And is he still here in Arizona, or did he, following everything happened here, did, has he asked for a transfer elsewhere? Yeah, I don't want to talk about where he might be located. The border itself has changed. There's more technology and agents than 10 years ago. The site of the shooting also looks different now. Yeah, and the gaps between the fence 
are like maybe three, four inches. So right now there's the, the smaller fencing, like a diamond fencing that makes it really hard to even get like fingers across. But you know, now pretty much like you can't reach across the fence in any meaningful way. On the Mexico side, Calle Internacional was repaved. The exterior of surrounding buildings was redone, erasing the bullet holes left by the shooting. The only reminder now is the metal cross on the sidewalk. That's where Jose Antonio's family will continue to gather every October 10th. Los activistas trabajaron mucho, mucho trabajaron. Yo tengo mucho que agradecerles a ellos. Nos ayudaron muchísimo. Taide said she's very thankful for the work that activists in the U.S. have done. They've always shown up to help them. She expects they will be there once again for the 10th anniversary of the shooting. Despite everything they've gone through, Taide said they're still holding out hope. The family filed a complaint with the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights in Washington, but any progress there could take years. Todavía me atormenta. Y, y, y este dolor que tengo no es un dolor del cuerpo, es un dolor del alma. Y el del alma es muy difícil de superar y no se cura como se cura el del cuerpo. Taide said the pain she feels is in her soul, and that is much harder to heal. Y todavía digo yo, a lo mejor si lo hubiera matado de un balazo, es, ese señor es maestro de tiro. Claro que no le falló, eh, o sea, lo, le dio donde le quiso dar y lo mató cuando lo quiso matar. Lo hizo sufrir, póngale usted un segundo o lo que usted quiera, pero para el niño fue eterno. En thinking about José Antonio, she also thinks about Lonnie, a trained gunman who she says killed her grandson intentionally. The encounter lasted seconds for Lonnie, but for Jose Antonio, she said, it was eternal. Porque los muchos balazos estaban en la pared. Ya ahorita ya no están porque ya ya la enjarraron la pared y arreglaron esa banqueta también los del ayuntamiento. Signs of the bullet holes may be gone from the Mexican side, and the street was redone. But the one thing that remains steady through the ups and downs the family faced is their love for Toñito and how much they miss him, even if they don't understand why he had to die that way. Pero, no, toda la familia, toda la familia todavía hablamos de él y todavía lloramos y... No, no, porque pues no entendemos por qué ese final del niño, no entendemos. As a note to our listeners, we interviewed Sean Chapman, Lonnie's attorney, a year before he died. He passed away from cancer in June 2020. This podcast was edited and produced by Maritza Dominguez and Amanda Luberto. Reporting by myself, Rafael Carranza, and Maritza Dominguez. Script supervision came from news director Kathy Tolomelo. Greg Burton is our executive editor. Social media for this podcast came from Rafael Romero Ruiz. 
Web production by Leah Trinidad. Audio in this episode comes from the following news stations. The AP, Cronkite News, Chris 6, KTSM, NPR, and Univision. Other audio came from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, the House Appropriations Committee, and C-SPAN. Thanks so much for listening to Rediscovering Kill Through the Border Fence, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com.